Hi, Jeff here from the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I talked with debut author Michael Vance Gurley for episode 42, and we talked far longer than we could fit into the single episode. So, here's the rest of our interview where we talked about plotting versus pantsing, the pitch of Palooza he participated in for the long season, his editing process, some advice for first-time authors, and of course we talked some hockey too. So, here's the rest of that interview, and if you missed the first part in the main episode of 42, go back and check that out. For this book, did you you had all this research and all this all these story points? Did you ultimately plot it out, or did you kind of pants the writing? Which way did it go? <laughs> I like the term "pants the writing." Um, you know, uh, this this is my first novel. I've never written really anything beyond the length of a comic book, which I've written a few of those. And um, you know, I just I, I decided I'm going to look on the internet for how, how to write a book. How how do you go about it? Because I had this idea. In my head, I wrote the whole story out in terms of ultimately where we were going to end up. Um, and in sidebar, my characters changed my endings on ending on me. They they wouldn't do in the end what I had originally thought of eight months beforehand. So that was kind of an interesting thing. I had to change my ending, and hopefully it's it's better than it would have been. Uh, I, I think it is. Um, but I. I found, you know, like the snowflake method and where you build a little bit, one sentence, and then you build two sentences and then a paragraph about your book. And then the same thing about each character, one sentence, two sentences, a paragraph, two paragraphs, and then the next person. Until I started to have about 20, 30 pages of outline. And I outlined the entire book for this one. So it was, uh, um, it ended up being 30 pages of outline because I wrote full paragraphs and then I found myself almost writing a full chapter in the outline and I said, I think it's time to reformat my outline. Um, you know, and, and I loved it. It was great because you could surprise yourself, you could do different things, you could change your mind, but in general, writer's block is helped, I think, when you have an outline. Mm-hmm. You know where you're going and you know the major beats you want and then you're surprised by things, but in general, you can do that. The downside is you've already written it and it would kill you to change too much and sometimes it, it makes it feel like a, a, a chore instead of just discovery. The new thing I'm working on is it, it wasn't outlined until I pitched it to a publisher. I, I wrote half this book um, and I'm currently writing it and um, it is seat of the pants. It, it was like what would the characters do next and I'm always thinking about it. It's more challenging. It's more stressful to write that way for me, but it also is fun. So I'm trying both. I like to do different things. That's cool. That's cool. How long did long season take? Um, about two months to to write it in my head, and I don't know. Maybe I'll say a year where the idea was in my head a little bit. Two years of two months of really fleshing it out in my head, and then six months of feverish writing. And I, I promised myself I was going to finish the book before my birthday. And um, <laughs> I said, before I turn 40, I will have a full-length novel written. And I finished it uh, three weeks before my 40th birthday. Congratulations. And, yeah, thank you. So, so that, that was six months, you know. Um, so tell me about Pitchapalooza, because I, I, I don't know about this. And, and how that helped shape the book into what yeah. it is now. Yeah, Pitchapalooza um, is an event held, um, I, I don't know how often, probably every six months maybe or so, um, by uh, um, Ariel Ekstut and uh, um, uh, David Henry Sterry. 
and uh, he's an author, and she is a um, age, uh, an agent working with a, a, a agency, and they're married, and really nice people. And they they have a, a company called the Book Doctors, and their mission is to help people navigate self-publishing, finding an agent, or going with a uh, and or going with a publisher. So they host these events called Pitch of Palooza, and David says it's like American Idol for books. And they give you, they come to a bookstore or something, and they, they sell their how to get published book. And um, people in the audience can randomly get a number assigned. And if you're lucky enough to get called out of like 150 people in the audience, they pick about 25, you get to pitch your book. And you get 60 seconds. And they say, we will cut you off at 60 seconds. So make sure it counts. And if you win, you get their help, their mentorship, uh, pretty unlimited mentorship from them, uh, and then they will introduce you to an agent or a publisher. And I thought, wow, this is Anderson's Bookshop right around the corner from my house. I need to do this. So, of course, being the research guy that I am, I didn't just waltz in there and wing it. I practiced it and practiced it and punished my friends by making them listen to my 60 seconds over and over and over and uh, made a sell sheet and had it all on the iPad and ready to go. And I went in there and I was lucky enough to win it. Um, it was really exciting, a lot of great pitches that day. And I won. And um, actually afterwards, talked to them for a long time and made friends with one of the other guest judges, uh, Andrea Beatty, who, who really helped me out afterwards as well. So I kind of gained three mentors by winning this contest. And, and uh, you know, in publishing, that's a huge push, you know, push forward. When you get people who, can navigate, they know the pitfalls, um, they know how to treat people and, and all that, and they can bestow that to you. Uh, it was really helpful. And then eventually the book doctors hooked me up with Bold Strokes Books um, and an editor, uh, and it just made my book tons better than it originally was, um, I hope, anyway. And um, yeah, Bold Strokes, uh, it was great. They, they, uh, they had that connection with them. And all that did was kind of put me in the front of the line. And they still had to evaluate me. And they said, you know, it could take, as you know, in, in publishers, uh, you know, we can get back to you in three months to six months. And, and I was like, oh, you know, but that's standard in publishing. And um, about two weeks later, I got a contract in the email. Nice. Was, oh, wow, it was crazy. Yeah. yeah. So they helped a lot. How was the editing process for you? Because there's always... You know, you always hear like, oh, I don't want to hurt my baby. And the flip side, it's like, it always makes it better. You know, there's the people who embrace the editing and people who are like nervous about the editing and don't want to hear about the editing. <laughs> I, um, you know, the, the book doctors researched uh, and they, they helped me find an uh, editor in LGBT field, somebody that would, uh, I wouldn't have to overcome any hurdles with, you know. So, so they found um, Jerry Wheeler who is, uh, I, it sounds like he's pretty famous in the, in the editing world. Um, he's, he works with uh, uh, Wild City and um, Bold Strokes Books and Lathe Press, um, among others. Um, and he's just a great guy out in Colorado. Anyway, he uh, looked at my stuff and he reworked my 20 pages for a lot of pitches to agents and, and um, publishers. And after the first, um, I think he... I think he edited the first 10 pages for free to show me what he would do, I think. 
And I got him back and I was like, wow, it is so much better than it was. And um, <laughs> maybe I'm not as good a writer as I thought, you know, because when you look at all the, <laughs> all the red marks all over it, you know, basically like, wow, you know, my Microsoft track changes. <laughs> but but uh, I really loved that process. You know, he became, or maybe he was, I don't know, but he came an, became an expert in anachronisms of the 20s. And he would call out all my, um, you know, inappropriate usage of time slang and and to sharpen me up and really challenge me and uh, each process delved just a little bit further into um, what could be better. You know, your, your general, each pass takes a little bit of the, the, the crud away from your book. And then uh, in the last one, I think we took out 500 instances of the word that. Um, and I couldn't believe um, <laughs> that I used the word that so many times. <laughs> But anyway, I think it's a lot better. Um, and actually, when I got hooked up with Bold Strokes Books, they hired Jerry Wheeler to be my professional editor through them. So it was nice to connect that and not have to work with a different set of people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so any advice for first-time authors to kind of pivot us back to the writing stuff a little bit? <laughs> um, advice, you know... It feels a little um, disingenuous to give give advice to people when I only have one book out and I don't even have sales info yet, so I don't even know how well it's doing beyond the opening. However, I, I'm happy and free to give advice to people because having it out, I now realize that even with three really great mentors and a publishing house that's been very supportive of me, they um, Bold Strokes Books has been very... Uh, professional and nice and they've been amazing with like cover design you know my cover um, the, the cover uh, I got to choose um, you know the, the all that and um, they were really supportive of that but I have learned some things through this about marketing um, that I was sort of told but not in specifics enough maybe uh, but now I know um, when to start marketing a little earlier because I feel like the book's been out a month now. There's almost like this feel out there and return to me of it's too late to ask for a review. It's too late to do these things. It's already been out a month. It's old, um, which is you know crazy, but there's so many books coming out. Yeah. It is old. Um, I would have started earlier. Um, that would be my advice. And my other advice is be polite. Be polite to everyone even if they say no um, I got great feedback from agents who said no uh, publishing houses who said no um, you know uh, that kind of thing and uh, details in a contract you're like I want to change this you can do all those things but you have to be polite about it because who you see what you don't see is that they know everybody else you're talking to or at least you're, you, you don't want a bad reputation out there of being like a prima donna or a, uh, a jerk. So I was polite to everybody. And I, I kind of think, you know, I like to think I am anyway. But in that field, you get frustrated. I had, I had a few agents kind of, kind of you know, lead me along and, and um, make it seem like they were going to do something. And then it kind of piddled out and didn't happen. And I was just polite back. I was very, very frustrated about the process. And get your hopes up and get crushed. 
But um, you learn something from that and you're polite and you move on because there's no reason and there's no benefit to you or anybody for being you know, rude to people. Um, you know, and the other advice, like I said, my, my book didn't really have a major audience when I was writing it and I could have um, sexed it up more to make it more uh, romance category than it is. I could have, um, you know, done you know very, a whole lot of other. I could have put aliens in it. I could have done all kinds of stuff, you know. Um, <laughs> but I wrote the book that was in my heart, and and if and if I only find five hundred readers that are passionate about it, then I'm happy with that. If I find a million readers that love it, that's you know that way that's way better. But uh, you know, because you know, writing is a it's a job a little bit and it's a, and it's, it can be expensive with editing and the time you put into it and all that. Uh, but really having reviews like the one you did on your site is, is that's what it's all about reaching somebody. If, if, uh, you do something that one kid that's struggling picks up and can relate to and think I can keep going. That's what it's about. Really? Mm-hmm. I kind of wrote to uh 13 year old Michael a little bit, you know, Nice. Not to get too deep. Sorry. Well, I, I think you, you're right. I mean, if you if you try to write a book, if somebody told you to put aliens in that book, you might. Okay, fine, I'll do it. But then it would come. It, it, it the reader would know you shoehorned that in somehow. It wasn't the book you meant to write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody actually did um, jokingly ask me to put aliens in it, and I, <laughs> <laughs> that's never left my head. Uh, there were other crazy ideas too, but um, you know, I love uh, um, supernatural stuff. And I wasn't writing a supernatural book, but there is a chapter in Halloween where they go to a séance, and uh, I got some advice to take it out. And um, those are the people who know anything about the twenties and, and research back then, like Harry Houdini, you know, greatest escape artist of all time, was a huge. Um, uh, um, investigator of the paranormal and he would go to hundreds of seances and magic things and debunk them and find ways to prove them as charlatans because in the 20s people were like gaga over the paranormal so it had to find a place in my book um for me and uh, i hope that that scene worked um i enjoyed it because it it didn't feel out of place at all good yeah halloween yeah um, so we got to talk a little hockey uh, yeah, yeah. B- before we, we wrap up, of course. <laughs> so obviously favorite team is the Blackhawks. Do you have others that you follow? Um, you know, um, I've always liked the Red Wings. And and, and I, I think that I they, knew I liked you for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I look over my shoulder because I'm in Chicago. Chicago Blackhawks are my team. I, I, I love the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, it's kind of those things is do you love them because you're in that city? Well, you can't really answer that, you know. But I've always liked and respected the Detroit Red Wings. I loved the Sergei Fedorov years. Oh, man, him and, and uh, Nicholas Lindstrom and um, Stevie Y, Steve Eiserman. I mean, he talk about amazing elite-level players. And um, I met um, uh, Dominic Hasek once and, you know, real nice guy. So, you know, I loved that, that whole era of the Red Wings. And, and with, with Scotty Bowman, they had this, this like, I don't know, this dynasty, right? So you got to respect that. Um, I've always liked Colorado Avalanche back in the Patrick Waugh, Joe Sackick 
um, yeah. Adam Foot. Those days, I, I loved way back then. Milan Hey Duke, and that was like a dream. Sandus uh, uh, Ozelinch. Back then, that was like an unbeatable dream team, and, and they won a couple of cups. They were amazing. Um, so I love those teams. Um, there's 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 some players, you know, that I, I'm more I'm more of a fan of finesse and scoring and goalies than I am of um, bruisers and um, the, the big defensemen who are bruisers and battlers and fighters and you know, Bob Proberts and Ty Domi and. I, I just never got into it. If I want to see boxing, I'll watch boxing. I like I like hockey. I know that that's part of the game, but I'm not big into the fighting part of it. And um, on the reverse side, you know who I, I've never really liked much? I'm, I'm going to say it. Wayne Gretzky. I, I, I just never got into it. He's the most amazing player that's apparently ever lived, but I don't know. I just, I don't know. Never got into him. I don't know. I, I, was, I, was, I was into that. And I, I really like. I appreciated the the time he was in uh, New York a lot. It's the only time I could I could deal with the Rangers really, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and be able to be a fan of the Rangers. Uh, Gretzky, it felt like, you know, th- there's no doubt that he's going to be amazing. You know, when 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 Mark Messier wins the Stanley Cup, and that's the most one of the most iconic videos in in the history of the NHL. When he wins the cup as captain and he goes to pick it up and he's shaking and screaming and crying, that's what hockey's about. Well, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right about that. I, I couldn't begrudge them that win either because it was such an emotional yeah, thing. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a huge Red Wings fan, but I have big respect for the for the Blackhawks. Uh, I'm a goalie guy, too. I especially like uh, Corey Crawford. I think he's pretty amazing. And for all yeah. of the my not fandom, if you will, for the Rangers, I think uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Oh, uh, the Rangers goalie. The I love watching him. Uh, is it Lundqvist? Lundqvist, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Just yeah. like bzz, bzz, total Lundqvist. blank out. Lundqvist, yeah. I mean, I sat in the garden one one of the times that the Red Wings were in town and watched the Red Wings fall apart. Just fall apart but loved watching him play goal because he was awesome in that game and he deserved to win it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've had, I'm a huge goalie fan and I, I love, you know, uh, like Patrick Waugh helped revolutionize goalie, you know, and yeah. he, he, with that <laughs> goalies are such interesting people in general. So I try to make a lot of those quirks into Jean-Paul, the, the, the bit where Jean-Paul can't step on a, on the, on the lines, the painted lines, that's Patrick Waugh. He, he can't step on the lines. He always has to kind of little hop over them. And um, the, they, of course, back then, they, 20s, they didn't wear masks. But, you know, Patrick Waugh, they always had this, these weird chicken movements with his mask that just were hilarious to me. And then he was so amazing. Um, and a brawler as well. Like he was this weird mix. So I was a huge Patrick Waugh fan. Yeah, and it's weird to see a goalie who's a brawler. Yeah, like... <laughs> He, you know, I think he might be kind of a violent guy. I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, but but back then, I mean, him coming across the ice to fight with, um, who's the famous one? Was it Hasek or was he just beat the pulp out of Mike Vernon or somebody? And yeah. and uh, I was like, I'm not big into the fighting, but goalies fighting in the middle was kind of crazy. You know something bad had to happen when the goalies fight. Right. Uh, you know. Because they're so far apart from each other, they can't even smack talk each other. 
No, right. They can't even hear each other from over there. But I love the fly, the, I love the goalies like Hasek or Curtis Joseph uh, who would flop on the ice and flip their legs around and use reflexes and, and Eddie Belfour. Oh, man, Eddie Belfour, that's a guy that you don't cross. Yeah. Eddie Belfour, Absolutely. him and Chris Chelios, they would, you know, I, I watched a game where Chelios bear-hugged an opposing player so that Eddie Belfour could punch him in the face. Uh, and I was like, wow, that, that's crazy. <laughs> You're a goalie. They're supposed to be controlled, you know. <laughs> so you, uh, I know you've had the opportunity to kiss the Stanley Cup, which is yes. pretty awesome. I've only been in the same room with it. I didn't get to get near it, so I'm a little jealous. What's the story <laughs> there? <laughs> well, um, in 2010, when the Chicago Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup, um, which was huge, I mean, it was such a huge thing, uh, hadn't won the Stanley Cup in 49 years, uh, the time before uh, was in the 90s. We were in the play in, in the finals and got swept, which was really, uh, really, you know, whatever. Still stings, right? But um, so, so 2010, we won the Stanley Cup. Brent Sopel, defenseman, uh, said he was going with Stanley Cup to the Chicago Pride Parade in June, and it was the first time in history that the Cup was going to make an appearance at the Pride Parade. Uh, as far as I can recall, and let alone an actual active NHL player was going to be at the Pride Parade, which was huge. So I had to go, and um, then I started following him on Twitter. Um, and I, I don't twit much, but I, I followed him, and he said, hey, I'm going to be at the Pride Parade tomorrow, and afterwards meet me at a, a um, local Wrigleyville um, uh, restaurant bar, where I'll be bringing the Stanley Cup and we can come party with the Stanley Cup, which is a huge thing. And it's only a couple blocks from the parade. So I said, we're doing it. So I went to the parade. As soon as he passed, I turned around and ran to the restaurant with some people. And eventually it got so crowded in there. Uh, I showed up early enough, but it got so crowded. They, they like locked the door. You couldn't, and no more people in. And then cops started showing up and firemen checking the fire code. And I made friends with the bartenders and the, the waiters and waitresses, um, and ended up helping them. I, somehow I connived my way into helping carry a table that they were going to put the Stanley Cup on. The people who were managing the cup thought I worked there and asked me like what we needed to do, which was you know which was really cool. And they said, "Where's the front of the line?" And I said, "Right here." They <laughs> <laughs> said, "Oh, okay." So well I ended up on the line. And when the cup came in, it was amazing, and everybody was touching it. It has this, like, you know, no other trophy has raised that much charity money. Uh, no other trophy gathers a crowd just to see the trophy. Other trophies are important. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I don't know any of their names, and neither does anybody else. But the Stanley Cup, it, it draws crowds. And it was packed. Anyway, so I got up there first. I went up. I kissed the cup. And I took like 30 pictures of it and then pictures of me standing with the cup. And then I went to kiss it again to get some more pictures. And I noticed my own chapstick ring on the Stanley Cup that I had left. And I was like, oh, I am so thankful I was first. Yeah. And then I grabbed the top of it and I was reaching down to grab the bottom. And I was quickly told, nope, you cannot raise the Stanley Cup unless you're part of the, the team, because I was going for it. <laughs> yeah, at least you went for it, right? And they said no, so I respected that. And it was an amazing thing. Uh, I haven't chased it again. You know, I, I've done it 
Uh, I know we Blackhawks have won two more times. We're going to win a couple more times, I think. Oh yeah, maybe next year. You know, it's a great team. So um, I, I'm not going to chase it anymore. I, I had my my thing, but if it's around, I would. I'd love to lift, lift it up. You know. <laughs> I mean, I think it it ties back a little bit too to the exactly what we were talking about about can, not just contemporary fiction, but like the world we live in. Because you know, you can play was around two years, maybe. At least one, maybe two, before Sam came out and was getting ready to draft into the work to try and draft into the uh, NFL. Yeah, and it still failed for him. You know, and I think I've read, uh, I think in some places now where he looks back and was like, maybe I shouldn't have done that right then. Yeah. Um, and I think you look, the NHL says they're ready, and you can play out there, and all the all those hockey teams, and you know now. Big, beyond hockey the the support that that gets but people are still scared yeah to do it in the same way that brett and jean paul were a little scared in the same way that simon and alex were a little scared in the beginning to come out to the team same mm -hmm. thing you see in serena's books and some of the other books yeah someday i think i think uh like jason collins in, in the nba um you know not, not to say that it, it was safe for him to do so but here's a guy who is a journeyman. He's been on a lot of teams, and he's at the end of his career, and he knows it. So for him to come out, um, it's kind of it, it's a little bit safer. It's still brave, yeah, but it's a little safer. Like I can't remember. I want to say Don Amici, but I know that's not his name. Basketball player that came out after he retired. Um, oh, I wish oh, I that, that might have been his name. I know who you're talking about, though. It might have been. It sounds like a, a, a famous actor, but. Um, Anyway, it's brave enough to come out and to try to lead the way post. But, yeah, Michael Sam coming out at the beginning, you know, when you're the, the defensive conference uh, champ and you get drafted way down the line and, and then you don't make it and you're in a practice squad and you're out, yeah, I don't know if that was talent-related. You know, right. I, I worry about that. Yeah, but exactly. They tried anyway, and I think that's huge. And, and maybe it'll happen. Hopefully, hopefully, especially because you've got so much college athletes coming out now yes. that they'll yes. you know rise to that next level and already yes. be out by the time they get there. Maybe yeah, like Robbie was it Robbie Rogers, right? The the soccer player. Yeah, he, he came out and um, and then he's on it's an LA LA Galaxy or something. But he was uh, he's huge. You can tell both of us only follow hockey, really. <laughs> you can, you can, right? <laughs> like these other sports <laughs> may have these people in them. True. <laughs> Anyway, it's changed. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. New episodes are available every Monday at iTunes and other major podcast outlets. While there, subscribe to the show and please consider leaving a review. For detailed show notes, links, and to sign up for the monthly newsletter, visit BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Big Gay Fiction Podcast.